0: hour. I am your host, John Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me on my left I have Shaylin Allen, our good podcast host. Greetings. And Joshua Death, our evil podcast host. How you guys doing tonight? Oh, we're doing pretty okay. Uh, I think the big news for all of us, and probably a lot of our listeners as well, is all the changes to the ITC season.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. And there are a lot of changes.
0: Yeah, although not as many as there's been some of the others. Uh, they've they've tweaked the, the secondary missions, but the primary missions are staying pretty similar.
3: Uh, there is a big difference in that three of the missions will have one person wholly deploys, second person wholly deploys.
0: Yes. Uh, though they
3: are still having random deployment.
0: Right. We'll see how much of a change that ends up actually being in terms of gameplay and whatnot. I think people are overestimating how much effect it will actually have Yeah. um, having played both the I-Go-You-Go deployment and the back and forth like that. But it'll be interesting to see.
2: I actually feel the new deployment style is going to affect as some of the secondaries that they propose I feel like there's going to be quite a bit of flux in those before they get those locked in.
0: Yes. They're definitely the uh, weaker, I suppose, section of the new stuff. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. I was going to say on that note, unlike previous years, they are going to playtest for a month before they solidify it, which I do really like.
0: That's smart. That's a good call. Yes. Uh, It's a good plan. March here is is essentially a a playtest month for them, which I think that's smart. They've always had to end up changing them anyways, so making it a more official beta version is not a bad plan. Yeah.
1: It'll
2: also work out good because they're supposed to be having the uh, post Adepticon FAQ that's going to drop, so if there's any anything that needs to be incorporated from that, it'll actually make them easier before they lock everything in.
0: It's true. Yeah. Um, no. Although, given GW's timing, it'll probably be sometime after March before they actually
1: <laughs>
0: drop that FAQ, but we'll see. You know, we're, we're expecting early to mid-April sometime. All right. <laughs> what do you guys think of the new missions? Are there any that stand out to you as particularly well done or that rankle you?
3: Um, well, they they basically made, here's a secondary you can take against Eldar.
0: Yep. Pick your poison is, it's for Eldar and Custodes. That's exactly who it's aimed at.
2: Yep. Even then, the way they wrote it, it's actually almost impossible to max out against Eldar and Custodes. <laughs> because you can only pick each of those keywords once.
3: No, you can pick them twice. No, it's once. Oh, well, then I'm remembering the first beta version I read.
2: Yeah. Yes, exactly. The first beta version I actually liked because it said you could pick each keyword twice, but now with them only be able to pick once. So there's five keywords to choose from, and I can only pick four, and I can only pick each one once. So mm. you, you're you're almost struggling at this point to to get that fourth one. Where I feel maybe if they're only allowing each one to be chosen once, maybe have more than five selections. Yeah. Maybe include like swarms and bikes or swarms and cavalry or you know add a couple more options just to give choice.
0: I believe bike is on the list.
3: Bike is on the list.
0: Yeah. It's it's bikes, fly, monster, vehicle, and psyker. Yes.
3: Oh. Alternatively, they could have done that by, like, slot selection, like fast attack, troop, heavy support, elite.
0: Yeah, which certainly wouldn't give you the choice against Eldar. I think the problem is that it it runs in the same issue Mark for Death had, which Mm. is that it splashes into a lot of other things. Yeah. yeah. like suddenly that is an auto-take against almost every army because every army is going to have four different slots.
3: Yeah.
2: Something in that category makes sense, yeah. Uh,
3: Notably, I will also add, is that the big twist they did is all of the positioning st- secondaries now have
0: asterisks on them. They do, although I almost never see anyone take more than one of those, so I don't think it's going to be a big issue.
3: Uh, marked for Death is no longer super punishing for orcs.
0: Yeah, doesn't stack with Reaper. Yep, that's useful.
3: Yep, a Reaper totally stacks with everything except for Marked now. Yeah. Which is hilarious because as an asterisk with another asterisk. Right. Good job.
2: Also the engineer one oh my god dude that thing just looks like it's just it's so complicated it is it's overly complicated
0: well and it's it's the same problem that like the nova one has is that like they wanted it to do something and it's just got like seven different layers of oh but you're not allowed to but you can but you can't but you can but you can't and it's like guys yeah (laughs) it's so many hoops to jump through for so little effect
2: Yeah. That's one of the ones I feel is going to get either highly revamped or just completely cut away by the time they're done with it.
0: I think it's going to get cut the same way that a couple of the others, like Gangbusters, did, although they brought Gangbusters back.
2: I actually like the new version of Gangbusters.
0: It's better. It fixes the problem. They put Gangbusters in and then it didn't do anything like what they wanted. Yes. And I feel like Engineers is going to be very similar. Yeah.
3: I think the simplest thing to do with Engineers might just say, it has to be a troop model. Done.
0: I mean, it doesn't solve the Cloud of Flies issue. No. And I think part of their their choice was it, like, they wanted you to have some options no matter what. I don't think it was one of the better parts of the Nova rule set.
3: I heard yes. that Nova is cutting that out because it doesn't work very well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I heard the same thing. Well, all of that aside, it will be interesting to see how all of the new stuff pans out and how everyone adjusts their lists to the new format, because there's definitely going to be some changes.
3: Oh, well, that's just kind of how it is—shooting a moving target.
0: Right. Uh, and speaking of hard lists to score against, Josh, you managed to do pretty well at the LVO with a summoning based list, which a lot of our listeners have been asking about.
2: Yeah, actually, I was uh, really happy with how it performed this year. I was really, really stoked.
0: I mean, you you top aided with it, so I don't think you can call that disappointing in the slightest. Nope, I can't. And I think it's uh, a good counterpoint to sort of some of the common wisdom we've seen, which is that summoning is bad, and I've been arguing against it from the very beginning. I think summoning is actually a a pretty powerful tool when used correctly.
3: That was my thought, was it's a difficult high finesse tool, but it is a really potent tool because you can basically adjust a certain amount of your list to fit to your opponent's army and counterplay them with that. And if you don't see that as powerful, you're kind of missing the point.
1: Right.
2: Actually, one of the best analogies I I heard that one of the guys made the comment, he's like, well, it's almost like playing 40k with a sideboard. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of the best analogies I heard. I'm like, you know, that's exactly what it is.
0: Yep. So I think the best place to start out here, uh, because we're going to be talking a whole lot about summoning in general, not just Josh's list, but also Josh's list. Hmm. Josh, can you read off the demonic summoning rule for us?
2: Gladly. So, you're going to have to bear with me for a second, because it is fairly long, but uh, once once you kind of get through the nuts and bolts of it, it's pretty pretty easy to decipher what exactly the, the rule does. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to kick it off here. It's straight out of the Demon Codex. It's called, actually, Demonic Ritual is the actual name of the rule. Yep. And the, the wording on it is, instead of moving in their movement phase, any Chaos character can, at the end of their movement phase, attempt to summon a demon unit with this ability by performing a demonic ritual. The character cannot do so if they arrived as reinforcements this turn, or if they were themselves summoned to the battlefield this turn. If they do so, first choose one of the four chaos gods, corn Zinch, Nurglar, A character who owes allegiance to one of the dark gods can only attempt to summon the units of their patron. For example, a Corn character can only summon Corn units. Roll up to three dice. This is your summoning roll. You can summon one new unit with the Demonic Ritual ability to the battlefield that has a power rating equal to or less than the total result, so long as it has the same Chaos God keyword you chose at the start. In the case of units that have a choice of allegiance, such as Furies, the unit, when summoned, will have this keyword. This unit is treated as reinforcements for your army and can be placed anywhere on the battlefield that is wholly within 12 inches of the character and more than 9 inches from the enemy models, or from any enemy models. If the total rolled is insufficient to summon any unit, the ritual fails and no new unit is summoned. Lastly, if your summoning roll included any doubles, your character then suffers a mortal wound. If it contained any triples, it instead suffers D3 mortal wounds. So that is the demonic ritual rule in its entirety.
3: Okay, and the reason they let you select the dice amount is to basically lessen the chance of whacking yourself with mortals.
0: Sure. Exactly. One interesting thing that a lot of, that confuses a lot of people about that rule, and I think it's the first takeaway that I would have, that is a rule on one unit that gives an ability to other units. Exactly. Because demons have the demonic ritual rule, but it's other chaos characters, which may be demons, but might not, that are able to actually do the summoning ritual.
3: Yes. Any chaos character. If you bring Chaos Demons in your army as one of your detachment choices, that enables other Chaos characters, such as your Renegade Commander, to do this now.
2: So actually, you don't even need the Demonic Detachment.
0: Yes. It is a rule on the units. so as long as you have points in reserve. That's your other big takeaway. You need to have reserve points that are not allocated to any unit set aside for summoning. Mm-hmm. Um but you do not need to have an actual Chaos Demons detachment. Yep. Hmm.
3: Okay.
2: I've actually ran a couple lists where I was just running Thousand Suns. It was literally a roughly fifteen hundred points of a thousand suns list. That was pure thousand suns detachments. I had nothing else. And I summoned in Pink Horrors, Heralds of Zinch, Lord of Change, so on and so forth mm-hmm. just because I had five hundred points of summoning left over and I had Zinch Chaos characters on the table. And as long as they didn't move, they can summon.
0: Yep. Okay. That is another very important takeaway there. You can't move the turn you use it. Doesn't seem like a big thing. Oh, it is. But as we've talked about a lot of times before, this is a game of movement. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're trying to drop in your demons into charge range, which you often want to do, that 12-inch radius that you can bring them down in and 9-inch limiter off the enemy means that you're going to have a fairly limited section of the battlefield where you can actually put them down. Yep. Especially because you have to plan it a turn in advance because you aren't able to move. Mm -hmm. There is one other little thing that Josh had brought up that some different tournaments have ruled differently uh, and is very important here. You want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yes, actually, I would would love to. Uh, Just because, I'll be honest, it is one of those rules where when I first read it, I could see both there's two different sides to this argument, and I can 100% see both sides. The discussion really is, can you summon turn one?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That is a very, very big discussion, because it says right there in the rule that the this unit is treated as reinforcements for your army and can be placed anywhere on the battlefield, yada, yada, yada. So it says right there they're classified as reinforcements.
0: Reinforcements, but not reserves, interestingly. A rare case...
2: But not tactical reserves. Exactly. This is one of the very rare cases in 40k in eighth edition where something is classified as reinforcements, but not classified as reserves. And the only other examples I have, personally, of this happening is anytime there are abilities where units like started on the table and, and teleported across the table or whatever, they classified for reinforcements for like triggering offspec scans or forewarned or whatever. Um, But they did not count as tactical reserves, hence the reason they were allowed to teleport turn one or whatever.
3: Shunt.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, the shunt is a prime example. I actually can't think of a, off the top of my head, another example.
0: Gene Stewart Colt has it, yeah. Uh, There's also a few others that allow you to do that. There is an Imperial Guard stratagem that brings back a squad.
2: Oh yeah, the Valhalla one, yeah.
0: Yes, Uh, but it is quite rare Um, like we're really digging pretty deep into the codices there
2: yeah we have to dig to find examples of it and so there's a big question on that and there's two very strong different camps one side saying that you know well it does count as reinforcements and it's something new being brought onto the table so you're not allowed to do it turn one and there's a large camp that says well in the tactical reserve rule it says any unit that it was placed in a special kind of deployment and obviously these aren't units placed because they're not in your list to begin with. Mm -hmm. I will say this, the one that sold me, the one that leaned me into the way I I was using it and the way I have been using it is Reese and Frankie came out shortly after the the big early FAQ change Mm -hmm. in September after Nova, where they said no, no summoning turn one. Both of them came out fairly quickly and said that I guess it was instructed from them via the game designers that summoning was intended to be allowed turn one. And so that's kind of how I've been running it ever since. And I will say, I'll be the first one to say this. And I want to emphasize this. There is no actual formal written statement or FAQ by Games Workshop stating this. Right. This is still an interpretation. So if you plan on using this at a tournament, I highly recommend you get a hold of the TO ahead of time and make sure which direction they're going to rule on it. Because the last thing you want to do is be running a list. or like, all right, I'm going to take a thousand points of summoning and turn one, I don't have a thousand points on the table and I'm not allowed to bring anything on. That might be a rough tournament for you. Yeah. I just highly recommend this is one of those times you need to ask.
0: It's often a good policy to do that. If there's anything even vaguely iffy in your rules. Exactly.
3: Yes.
2: I can attest to that.
3: (laughs) And I would say if you're going to a tournament where you can't get a hold of the TO, you write the list where you can do the turn one and the list where you can't do the turn one. And you go up to the TO and explain which one am I playing?
2: Yep. I couldn't get a hold of you ahead of time, so I wrote both lists this is just in case. Which one should I do? Bam. Problem solved.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the other unusual features of the rule, because there's a lot to dig into here.
2: There's one other takeaway that I wanted to emphasize for you, Sean. Oh, sure. That is just, it's a very minor thing, and it's something that I've also, I've, I've seen a lot of people get tripped up this edition on, is... A very new thing, because there's been versions of summoning in the past, and mm-hmm. so when when running this, I even had it happen a few times at LVO, it's something a lot of people aren't used to is you don't actually have to select the unit that you're trying to summon mm-hmm. until after you roll the dice. Yeah. Yeah that's a little bit different because a lot of people like back in the days, and I've even caught myself doing it still to this day. We're like, all right, I'm going to try and summon a pink horror unit now. And then I don't roll high enough. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm just going to summon a exalted flamer instead. And my opponent's like, wait, wait, you said you were going to summon pink horrors. This is me kind of, you know, getting ahead of myself because exactly, you don't actually have to say what you're trying to summon. Mm-hmm. Until after you roll. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to roll my dice, see what's available to me.
0: You have to choose your chaos god, but not anything else.
2: Exactly. The only choice you make before you roll those dice is which god you are drawing from. And if you're summoning from, uh, like, a marked character, then your god's already chosen for
3: you. Right. Yeah. Velikor can summon whatever the heck he wants because he's undivided.
0: Correct. Yes. Uh, one of the rare demonic undivided characters.
3: Like the only one in the book?
0: Uh, in the demon's book, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. He is. Technically, Furies can be undivided, but I'm not sure why you would bother.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> Only Velikor can summon them, so...
0: Yes, and, now they, and, they, and they often have a demonic affiliation, as noted in the rule. So I think that covers the rule itself pretty well. It's, it's a very strange rule with a, a lot of interesting little quirks and tidbits. So why don't we talk a little bit about, like, why would you bother... If you're summoning, you have to set aside those points in your list. So it's not like you're getting three stuff. This is all stuff you're paying for. The thing that a lot of people have said is like, why would you bother summoning if you just put units in your list instead and have the option of sticking them in reserve? Because, of course, demons can stick anything in reserve if they want to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so why would you summon 30 pink horrors when you could just have 30 pink horrors in your army? I know. Go ahead. What do you got?
3: And that's that... You walk up, your opponent hands you their list, you look at it and you're like, oh man, this is the bl- list, the blood bomb is going to be my MVP. I've got 300 points, I can get myself a blood h- letter bomb. Yes. And then the next game, you're sitting there and you're like, man, I really need a squad of horrors this game. Exactly. I got 300 points, I'm going to have a squad of horrors.
2: Prime example was when I first started running this style list. Uh, I actually was a big fan of the thirty pink horrors just because I ran them last year in my Death Blossom list, so I was really familiar with them and I really liked them. And I was so I started running them in this in the initial versions of this. The problem I had was all of a sudden I'm fighting a custode's list. Mm-hmm. Great, now my thirty pink horrors that are strength four AP dash are literally worthless. Yeah, I'm in the way. Sure. Yeah, I mean I'm lucky if I kill a custode by the end of the game with them. They're worthless. Or I'm going to get some imperial knights. Now I'm trying to wound knights with, with pink horrors, and that's just not... You can imagine how uh, exercise and futility that is.
1: <laughs>
2: um, I started realizing that I needed a little bit more flexibility. This, this unit, while in certain circumstances against Horde Tyranids or Dark Eldar or whatever, it's got its moments where these, this, this, these 30 pink horrors are just amazing. It has just as many moments where they completely suck. And got me thinking, well, can I just bring them on those games where they're amazing? Mm -hmm. And that's where the summoning came in. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yes. In that respect, it is a very powerful tool. The ability to, as Josh kind of discussed earlier, have a sideboard to adapt your list to what the enemy is bringing... Is quite strong. There are not really very many other armies in the game that can do that, and the ones that can can only do it to a very limited degree through like selection of psychic powers or other abilities that allow you to switch out between games like that. Being able to switch out your list between games is actually very powerful uh, because it allows you to look at what your opponent has and then decide your army.
3: Yes, and as we pointed out in the episode where we talked about building our list, having an ability that gets you around core game rules is really powerful. Summoning is one of those.
2: Yes. We emphasize so much about how the Yanari were so strong because they have the ability to literally take extra actions, extra turns during their turn, where here you're like, well, I'm just going to take extra units when I need them.
0: You're violating a core game rule, in a way that other armies aren't used to, because you're violating the core game rule, you play the same army every game.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: With this, you don't play the same army every game. So, like like Josh said, you know, those horrors might be great in one matchup, but something else might be better in another one. And that ability to switch out what your list is good at is absolutely huge. Uh, Mm -hmm. because there are units in the Demon Codex that will really screw over certain lists if you can get them to do what you need. Oh, very, very much so. So, having run a bunch of Summoning, Josh, what are some of the stratagems or strategies or or tricks you've noted with it? What is it that you did to really make it work?
2: So, a couple ones. One of the big ones that I actually tried gearing towards is Every single time I wrote a list, when when summoning was an emphasis in the list, I always looked at what characters had on the table turn one, Mm -hmm. and how many points I had available to summon. Mm -hmm. And if I needed to, meaning like the majority of my army just got the crap kicked out of it turn one, and I need to pretty much bring all of my reserve points out right now, can I do it in one turn? Okay. Meaning, do I have enough characters on the table... To blow all of my points in a single turn, if I have to. Right. That was a huge thing because one of the one of the things I ran into initially is I actually only had th- three chaos characters on the table, mm-hmm. and I had almost eleven hundred points of summoning. And all of a sudden, I, I ran into a situation where I got I got put on the ropes really hard. Turn one, and I actually lost one of those three characters. And all of a sudden, I had two characters on the table. And here I am trying to summon to, to rebuild what I'd lost to, to rebuild that buffer. And I actually didn't have enough on the table to utilize even a fourth of the points that I had sitting there. And it hurt me. Oh uh, Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't actually tap that resource that I kept aside for myself. Right. So that's a big one right away. Like if you're going to go with summoning, make sure that you have the ability to utilize all of that summoning ability from turn one if you have to.
0: Right. Well, mm-hmm. oh, because you're setting a lot of points aside for summoning, which means you have a lot less on the table than on many lists still.
2: Yes. And which means what you have on the table needs to be able to, in one way, shape, or form, survive whatever your opponent is going to throw at it. Because again, like you said, you can't move those characters, so it's not like I can run away. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I can't run away and summon. I have to summon right where I'm standing. Mm-hmm. Which means whatever I have there has to be able to give them that opportunity to make that happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Were there any stratagems you found yourself using a lot? Yes.
2: Uh, actually, quite a bit. So, ironically, there are... There's four of them. Well, three of them, really. Three of them in the Demon Codex that actually applies summoning. Mm-hmm. But then there's also one in the Death Guard book, and there's also one in the Thousand Suns book, both of which apply actually to summoning. Mm-hmm. Right. In the Demon Codex, there's uh, two of them that I'm a huge fan of. So, one is Demonic Pact. Mm-hmm. It's a one command point ability, and it's used as a stratagem after a chaos character from your army summons a unit of demons to the battlefield, using a demonic ritual. The character can immediately attempt to summon a second unit of demons to the battlefield, performing another demonic ritual. So in essence, for one command point, you can double summon from one character. Mm -hmm. And I have used that one extensively. I use that one a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially with the zines where I would commonly run a, a Thousand Sons attachment or whatever. And I want my my Demon Princes or my Aramon or whatever to run up and throw some psychic powers out, but I don't want multiple characters just sitting and not moving. So I'll only keep one in the back, move the other two forward, and then cast double summon out of that one. That makes sense. sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, Being able to double up on stuff like that is uh, that's a tempo advantage. You're getting Mm -hmm. two actions for the price of one. Exactly.
3: And it's not a huge CP cost either, which is great.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing uh, stratagem. I'm a huge fan of it. The other one that I am a massive fan of is Soul Sacrifice. This one's a little more selective of when you use this one because it does cost two command points and it also, you pay quite the price of your own on this one. So this one is two command points. Uh, Use the stratagem before a chaos character from your army attempts to summon a unit of demons to the battlefield using a demonic ritual. Mm-hmm. that character suffers D3 mortal wounds. So immediately, like, you suffer D3 before you even do anything else, which means if it kills you, you're, you are kind of wasted it anyway, so be careful. Mm-hmm. But you can roll up to four dice rather than three for the summoning roll. Okay. In addition, re-roll hit rolls of one for the summoned unit while it is within six inches of the character that performed the demonic ritual.
0: Mm. That's pretty powerful. Demons don't have a lot of ways to re-roll hit rolls. <laughs>
2: Princes are pretty much it. Demonic uh, demon princes are pretty much the only way to really get a reliable reroll ones for the for the demons. Yeah. So having that ability to, and I've I've done it before, where I'll throw it on a chariot. Oh yeah. I'm a huge fan. I'll, I'll just summon a unit of uh, thirty horrors from a zine chariot or thirty demonettes from a slanesh chariot, and then just they have a
0: built in demon prince right behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's really helpful. Well, that's big because those, those are characters who have more wounds, so suffering that D3 and, you know, possibly D3 more.
2: From the summoning roll, because you're rolling four dice.
0: <laughs> yes. Or you can roll four dice. You don't have to. Uh, that's one thing we didn't talk about much earlier, but you can choose how many dice to roll on that summoning check depending on what you're trying for. So you don't have to go full ham on it.
1: No.
2: The Death Guard one, it's a very similar one to the Soul Sacrifice where you get to roll up to four dice. -hmm. And that one allows you to re to re-roll any ones that you roll in the summoning. It's pretty decent, but you can still take mortals. But Death Guard has feel no pain, so they get good odds of shrugging it. Yes. Um, the Thousand Suns one is actually the best one.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. It's one command point. Okay. One uh, Thousand Suns character when summoning a Zeinch unit that turn gets to roll up to four dice and does not take mortals for rolling doubles.
3: Okay. That's big.
1: Yeah.
2: It's huge. It's so good. I've been have been a big fan of that one. I use that one quite a bit like when I I just need to really get a big unit of pink horrors out and I need to roll that 12, I'll have Aramon pop that just to make sure he doesn't get hurt and really get me to guarantee get the 30 man unit on the table.
0: Yeah.
3: Cuz you can augment that with another with a CP reroll cuz you can CP reroll as course, we established
0: That's still legal use for all that stratagem. That's really big. There are also a handful of units that enhance summoning. There are probably more by the time anyone has seen this episode, since there's the new Vigilist book coming out. So we won't talk about those.
2: I cannot wait. I, I'll be honest, with the fact that I ran a, a demonic summoning-based army, and then at LVO, they revealed that there's going to be something that's supposedly going to help summoning, I kind of got
0: a little giddy, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's it's going to be pretty amusing to see what that is. Uh, our listeners will know, but we will not, as we are Speaking to them from the distant past. (laughs) But uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the units that do exist?
2: There are. So one of the big ones, and it's one actually I make extensive use from, and ironically it's probably one of the abilities of this unit that is most overlooked, is the feculent mock. Oh, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of abilities this that the plague tree as most people refer to it as there's a lot of abilities the play the Feculent normal has but one of my personal favorites happens to be the conduit to Nurgle's domain mm-hmm. and it's you can reroll any of the dice used in the summoning rules when a chaos character from your army that is within seven inches of any Feculent normal attempts to summon a unit of Nurgle demons to the battlefield using demonic ritual yeah. It makes Nurgle summoning so much more reliable with that tree on the table. It's unreal and safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: So, so here, here's a here would be a combo. I see is you summon the tree because now the tree's on the table. Its aura kicks in, and then you summon bigger things. Now the tree's on the table.
2: So that's actually I'm so glad Shay that you asked that that you made that comment because ironically, the feculent gnarlma is the only unit in the entire demonic codex that does not have Demonic Ritual. Oh, uh, so you got to have
0: it in the list.
2: You cannot actually summon a tree. But there is a way around it. There is one model in the entire Codex that has the ability in its own data sheet to summon a tree. Mm-hmm. And that is one of my personal favorite models. I even brought it to Elvio with me just because I love the unit and the model so much, but I ne- just never found a reason to summon the guy. Sure. And that is Horticulus Slimex. Mm. It is the, the guy that rides the big snail.
1: Yeah.
2: He actually has, no no joke, his ability is called Seed the Garden.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: At the end of your movement phase, you can add a, a new Feculent Normal Maw to your army containing one uh, Feculent Narl ma unit containing one Feculent Narl Set it up within three inches of Horticulus Slimax and more than one inch away from any other models and terrain features. Mm-hmm. Horticulus slimex cannot use this ability if he performed a demonic ritual this turn. So he can't summon something else and the tree, but he can summon the tree. And ironically, if you notice in there, it does not say he can't move to use that ability.
0: Right. Mm. So you can potentially summon him in and then immediately bring a tree in with his own ability. Exactly.
3: Because it's not on the same restrictions.
0: Yep. Exactly. So if
2: you really want a tree, you can drop him in, crap out a tree right next to him, and then use that same exact ability you just referenced. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So there is one other guy who has... Lady. ...or lady who has a summoning ability Mm -hmm. and a really good one at that.
2: Oh my god, so good. So I'm sure you are referencing the Infernal and Rapturous. That's the one.
0: Isn't that the harp lady?
2: Yes, she is the harp lady that came in the Wrath and Rapture box that is was recently released by GW, and I'll be honest, um, I got a lot of questions about her in uh, regards to my LVO list. Uh, a lot of people, even my opponents, were like, well, why did you put her in?
0: Oh, she's so good.
2: There's a couple reasons. One of the primary ones happens to be the fact that she gets a stock plus three to all summoning rolls she makes. Yep. That's pretty good. It's amazing. I'm going to explain why. So one of the reasons why this is so amazing is, as you guys already mentioned, you can choose how many dice you roll to summon.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, because she gets a stock plus three, her power level, because remember, we're, your limitation is you have to roll a power level of whatever unit you want to summon. The So the Infernal and Rapturous and any other Herald of Sanesh they have, their power level's four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you literally can roll one die and have a guaranteed chance of summoning another herald. No matter what, you will have at least enough to summon either another infernal rapturous or a herald. The power level of the demon prince is eight, so which means you could roll two dice and have a high probability of getting a demon prince, and probably not wrackling because you're only rolling two dice,
3: and not whacking yourself with a mortal. Yes.
1: yes,
2: it's her ability to get a stock plus three to summoning is just. Mm-hmm. Ungodly amazing. It really is. It's just phenomenally amazing. And that is why the units I summoned more, the yes. second to most at, at the LVO or any time I run this list, is Slanesh units. I have a tendency to lean really heavily towards Slanesh units when I summon because of the fact that she has such a high
0: reliability of getting them on the table. It's very powerful. Reliability mm-hmm. is strong in pretty much any context in this game. Yes.
3: Plus three to a roll is so
1: good. Yeah,
0: you don't often see plus threes. So let's talk about the the last big component of things. We talked about a lot about how good summoning is, but like any other strategy, it's only good in the context of the list that uses it. So mm-hmm. what do you do in a list to enable summoning? So one of the big
2: things, and I kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, is you have got to make sure that what you have on the table is able to take advantage of those points at every aspect of the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You do not want to ever leave yourself in a position where if I have a bad turn, half my points are going to get wasted. You never want to be in that position. Number two, as I kind of hinted at as well earlier, you need to make sure that whatever you have on the table, just like you mentioned, Sean, you have to plan a turn in advance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you don't even know if you're going first or not, trying to successfully plan a turn in advance can be very difficult. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so you need to make sure that when you are deploying your units in all of your characters, you're deploying in a way that you can guarantee that you're not only going to be able to summon as far as have the models on the table to do it, but also you're going to have a place to summon. Yes. Mm, yes. Because, again, we're not just restricted by being wholly within 12 inches of the summoner, but we also can't be within 9 inches of an enemy model.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's, it's actually a fairly small window that you have of where you can drop those models, especially if your opponent knows how to take advantage
0: of those windows. Yeah, Mm -hmm. if they're playing an aggressive army like orcs or whatnot, they may be right on top of you turn one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Your list was pretty defensively oriented. You ran a large block of some plague bearers in front of your characters. Uh, Was that specifically to enable summoning?
2: That is actually exactly what they were there to do. I took two units of 30 Plague Bears, took them all the way to 30 models
1: Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so that they had the longest probability of keeping a hold of their negative one to hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I gave them all the icons, and there was a Sloppity Biopiper in my army, which is the one that allows me to roll two dice and take the lowest die roll for my morale Mm test. And obviously with the Demonic Icons, anytime you roll a one for your morale test, you automatically pass and you get D6 models back for free. Sure. Sure. And so again, the, the that was all geared towards the concept of keep those plague bears on the table as long as physically possible to give those characters the best chance they have
0: of utilizing those summoning points well. Mm-hmm. Right. So you you would sort of play a bit of a delaying game in that sense.
3: Yep. You put two big speed bumps down.
2: Yes, I actually designed that list, and when I practiced that list, I actually practiced that list. Mm-hmm. With the clock in mind, I practiced really heavily with the chess clock, and the, the idea that I was going for is I wanted to finish my second turn with an hour left on the clock. That makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That was, And that was when, I, mind you, when I was practicing, I was practicing with an hour and 15 minutes because I thought they were going to be two and a half hour rounds, not three hour rounds. Uh, yeah. So, in essence, I was literally doing my deployment, my first and second turn in 15 minutes. The the design of this was my army really actually didn't start playing until turn three.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
2: So if I can get my opponent to waste forty five minutes to an hour of their time pounding on my army for two turns, mm-hmm. all of a sudden I've got an hour left on my clock. They have thirty minutes left on theirs. Now the mental pressure kicks in. Of now they're fighting the clock and me.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the clock, I have just received word from our quartermaster that we are late to summons. Oh. So we are all going to hop ourselves over and get a sound verbal berating, and then we will catch you guys with a paddle behind on the flip side of the episode. War wargamers, we've all got a closet full of shame, models we intended to build but never really will. Why not turn those models into the models of your dreams, stuff you've been looking to get for your current army, the things you've been wanting to start a new army of? Visit mindtaker.org or Mindtaker Miniatures where you can sell your old models and buy new ones, both at great prices. And check them out up in Everett at the Xfinity Games Arena OOP Game Sale this March 30th. Hey there, wargamers. Are you looking to do conversion of your dreams, but just can't find the right bits, probably because they don't exist? Gammon with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, those dreams can become reality with Vritaforge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. Vritaforge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A f-o-r-g-e, like Forge Worlds. Contact her and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. Raida Forge, make all of your Wargaming Bits dreams come true. we are back and only mildly sore and reprimanded.
2: Speak for yourself.
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean in a relative sense. I mean some of us may have enjoyed this more than others.
2: Well, you know, I got I got a little bit of slanesh in me. It's cool.
0: Exactly.
3: Hey, hey, speaking of slanesh and kind of making a great little transition statement here, (laughs) I'd like to talk about good summoning choices because I've never actually faced up against a lot of summoning which is sad, because I really would like to see it. <laughs> and uh, i kind of curious, since you mentioned summoning Sleinesh, what did you pick?
2: So, like, just kind of pick a couple of my, my top choices of what units I kind of defaulted or leaned towards when I summoned. Is that, is that kind of what we're looking at? Yeah. yeah. so. Okay. With Sleinesh specifically, there was two units that I leaned towards more than anything. The first one are the Fiends of Sleinesh. Oh, yeah. Love those units. They are low-costed. The two big things that I relied on them for is one they have a built-in 12-inch aura of negative one to psychic tests for the enemy. Mm-hmm. So it's a 12-inch bubble of just negative one to cast, which is great.
3: Oh, just dropping a little psychic defense.
2: Yep. Yeah, exactly. A little psychic defense is nice to have. Secondly, and the one I really love them for is, unless you can fly, you cannot willingly fall back from that unit.
0: you mm-hmm. go. Is that only infantry or is that everything?
2: It's actually everything. Oh. Unless you can fly. That is the kicker of it. Wow. Yeah, it is stupidly good in that regard, and I have used that many, many, many times uh, to my advantage. Because I will just I'll rush up with a single fiend and I'll I'll tag a layman rust or something and just lock it up mm-hmm. and sit there and let it pound on my fiend, and my fiend won't kill it, and it won't kill me, and we're just gonna slap fighting and that Russ isn't shooting the rest of the game. Yep. And I spent thirty points to do it. It's amazing. Yeah and uh, they're also very fast. You can actually summon it in the backfield. They have a 14-inch movement, so you can summon it fairly far back and next turn reliably get it where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second one I summoned, and actually she hit the table twice this week, that weekend, and I was really impressed both times, was the Keeper of Secrets. Okay. I have rapidly fallen in love with that model. Um, her, after the points drop, she's only 165 points now, which for something that pretty much has the stat line of a Bloodthirster, It's really really kind of deceptive how much damage she can do. She's actually my silver bullet to Imperial Knights.
0: Well, she Mm -hmm. has a flat damage three on her attacks, doesn't she?
2: Flat damage three. Also, she has a built-in negative one to hit her in combat. Ah. Mm -hmm. In the fight phase. It's solidly built in. She also gets to manifest two psychic powers, one of which very easily will be the Symphony of Pain, which gives a unit a negative one to hit. Right. Ah. And then on top of that, she always fights first, and most likely she's going to make the charge. And if she ever does, if a model ever gets wounded by her sword and doesn't die, it has a permanent negative one to hit for the rest of the game. Yep.
3: Okay, that'll get rid of a knight.
2: Exactly. You shove her at a knight and you say, okay, you're now negative three to hit me, and I'm going to stand here and flip you off for the next five turns. Right. I would love to say that that was 100% my credit, but I can't actually take credit for that. That was actually one of my teammates that actually found that wonderful uh, little bit of tech there. Is actually a good friend of mine on my team. Is Josh Minnick. I kind of wanted to give a shout out because that was him. And I don't want to take credit where it's not due. We actually had to dig real deep to find a, a actual WYSIWYG Keeper of Secrets model, which, if you look at it, it's like smaller than a dreadnought. They're tiny little models. And it looks so bad. Yeah, it's awful. I'll be honest, it's a horrible model, GW. You guys need to resculpt this. <laughs>
0: Did you find yourself bringing in Damonette's very often?
2: Ironically, no. Hmm. I have found that demonettes without the ability to advance and charge, which you need a slanesh detachment to do, just seem to lack quite extensively. And the primary reason for that is pink whores pretty much do what demonettes do without having to charge.
3: Fair yeah, enough. and charging isn't reliable off the drop.
2: Exactly. That's the issue. Now, I did bring in seekers a couple times. Oh, really? I would bring in a little five-man seeker unit with the musician to get the 8-inch charge. And with four attacks a piece per model, they actually have a pretty reliable kill rate for going after that small harassing unit oh okay and if they break out of combat after that they still got a 14 inch movement to really get across somewhere
0: right and they're only like 60 points or something
2: yeah they're actually fairly cheap their power level is actually the hardest part about them is uh, a 10 man seeker unit is 11 power level yeah, it's... Mm. yeah so it's it's uh, to get a really good size unit like a, a 20 man unit is 22 power level to summon that's which... not happening exactly you did already
0: mention the the Heralds and the Infernal Enchantress, uh, which obviously are both quite good.
2: Yep. Yes, and then also I summoned a Herald on a Steed mm-hmm. quite a bit, just because she actually has the ability to su- uh, advance and charge built into her.
3: Mm-hmm. Ah, gotcha. Oh, right, because summoned units don't have the detachment bonuses at all.
2: No, they do not. So I want to I wanna emphasize this for anyone that's going to look at summoning a really big... Pitfall I catch a lot of uh, summoning players that don't realize is if I summon, let's say, 30 pink horrors, those 30 pink horrors are not objective secured.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Because they are not part of a detachment. Yes. They do not get any benefit from that. I want to emphasize that because a lot of people don't realize just because their troop
0: choice does not mean they're OPSEC. Yep.
3: Nope. They're not from a bound part of the force at all.
0: Yeah. And any characters obviously do not benefit from a locus either. No. Exactly.
3: All right, I'm going to keep going down gods here. <laughs> I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Because you didn't bring corn at all. What would you do if you did bring corn, my friend?
2: Oh, if I did bring corn. Okay, so first off, um, I played around initially with summoning skull cannons. Mm, okay. They're not bad. Just because it's one of the few ranged options that you can actually summon in, in the Demon Codex armies. And I'll be honest, kind of underwhelmed. Mm. They're not very expensive, but... Surprisingly, with the amount of anti-tank stuff in the game right now, one of them goes down pretty quick. They go down pretty easy. So what I actually found myself defaulting to corn whenever I was going to summon corn. I honestly love summoning corn demon princes.
3: Okay. Sure. Yeah, no, those guys are beat sticks.
2: Yeah. They're one-man wrecking balls. They're amazing. I just literally, I'll just summon a corn demon prince, say "Go get them, boys," and just and they go kill things. Yep. Did you have much success with bloodlighters at all? Um. So ironically, the bloodletter bomb is amazing, except when you summon it for one reason you can't summon it with the banner.
0: Sure. Ah. Uh. No 3d6
2: charge. Exactly. The banner of blood is what makes the bloodletter bomb so amazing because it gives them that reliability. That 3d6 inch charge is so huge. Now, there is one other piece of corn tech that I summoned quite a bit and I actually used at Michigan GT with this demon list. And it's probably one of my favorite units in the game, to be fully honest. And that's Scarbrand.
1: Mm. Oh,
2: yes. He... Is now he's rough, eighteen power level to get him on the table. So you almost have to guaranteed soul sacrifice, and even then you're probably still using a reroll to get him to get the guy to hit the table. Yeah. But when he does, he single handedly will make your army. Everything in your army gets plus one attack. Everything in your army is automatically fearless. No worrying about morale. Don't care. Let's just go kill things. It's amazing. Thank you,
3: Scarbrand. You are thematically amazing.
0: Well, if he happens to get forward, he can stop the enemy from falling back as well, which for a demon's army is obviously quite big. (laughs) Yes. I
2: I don't know how many times I've summoned in 30 pink horrors, have Scarbrand next to him, and you hit him with the boon of change to give him plus one attack, and all of a sudden you have three attacks apiece at strength four, pink horrors, and people are like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> kind
1: of
3: reminds me of the sisters blender because that startles people too.
2: Yep. That's that's exactly. That's exactly what you just did with pink Horse.
0: All right. Okay, uh what about Zinch? Yeah, you mentioned you you really like that Zinch uh summoning stratagem. What units did you bring in with it?
2: I do. So there's a couple that I almost always go to. If I bring in thirty pink whores, I will almost always do like I'll do that that summoning strat to get the four dice. Sure. And then I will use the one point strat to allow them to summon again to bring a herald right in with them. Uh, yep. I gotcha. Because the pink whores, their all their guns uh, are actually based off their strength. Mm. So you need that herald. Exactly. That herald being next to it makes all their shots strength four, and very likely when you summon that herald in. They get to pick their psychic power when you summon them in. You choose flickering flames, so they get the plus one to wound rolls.
0: So you're wounding infantry on threes or twos.
2: Exactly. And so you're getting 90 shots, hitting on fours, re-rolling ones if you have the prince nearby, and then wounding on threes or twos. It's just sheer weight of dice is pretty strong there. So I'm a huge fan of that. I love the Heralds. And then actually in this tournament, extensively, I used Exalted Flamers.
0: Yep. Oh, yeah. Those things are good. Walking Laz Cannons.
2: Yes, a three-shot LAS cannon that is a character, so it's literally, it's protected. Yeah. And on top of that, they still have that 12-inch range flamer. Yep. That's one of the things I love most about them is their flamers are a 12-inch, so I can deep strike them in and
0: still shoot that flamer straight away. Yes. Yeah, I know. Uh, I had a lot of success with Exalted Heralds when I was running a uh, demonic list. It's a very close third with actually
2: regular flamers. Oh really? So one time when my opponent chose Reaper, Mm -hmm. I wanted to steer away from bringing a large horde in so instead I actually brought in 9 Flamers of Zinch instead of 30 Pink Horrors Sure. And it kept my Reaper count down, but I was getting out almost as many shots because they're all that built in neg 1 AP, so on and so forth. Right.
3: Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. So that leaves us with Papa Nurgle last. I'm not certain if it was the best, but it's Papa Nurgle Oh
2: my boy. So I, I made the comment earlier that I summoned a lot of Slanesh, but I will say this. There is one unit that I summoned every single game was another 30-man Plague Bear unit. Sure. Every game, guaranteed, without cl- like clockwork.
0: You needed more screens to keep your characters alive?
2: Yeah. I'll be honest, with the benefit of the, char- the, the character buffing that they have in the form of the Spoilpok Scrivener and the Salpity Wildpiper, and then the tree, point for point, the Plague bears are probably, in my opinion, one of the best basic troop choices in the game.
0: Mm-hmm. They're pretty good.
2: Honestly, they are just so... When you're moving 7 inches with a uh, D6 plus 1 advance and 2D6 plus 1 charge, getting to do all of that, you're almost as fast as Gene Steelers at that point.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But you're as resilient as Plague Marines. I mean, it's just insane how tough that unit really becomes. And the ability to lock a unit up and then fall back and charge. And I don't know how many times, I, when I fall back, I fall back into their army.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Huge fan. I almost always summon another unit of Plague bears. Um, I also summoned Beasts of Nurgles. Really? I think four of my eight games I summoned Beasts of Nurgles. They surprised me. They actually single-handedly won me my game against Ben Cromwell. Okay. How so? So there was a situation where he brought in a 10-man Sicarian Infiltrator unit into my backfield, charged into my backfield, got locked up in a combat with a bunch of plague Plaguebearers and a couple characters, and he had his knight over there. And so I summoned these guys in, trying to deal with. You know, I was thinking more, looking at the fact that their damage, their weapons are two damage each. Sure. And the infiltrators are two wounds apiece, so maybe I can just get rid of some of these guys. But then all of a sudden, I realized when he finished his charge phase with the knight, the beast had the ability to heroically intervene. They have the built-in. They have the ability to heroic intervention. Right. So I heroiced into the sicarians that same turn, mm. and it brought me within seven inches of the tree. Right. Mm. And so then, and that was at the end of his turn. So then on my turn, because I had a, this three man unit of beasts and Nurgle strung out. I mean, they're on 60 millimeter bases. They're huge. They're big. It allowed me to fall back out of combat with the infiltrators across to the other side of my deployment zone to charge this little five man unit Rangers that he had sitting on this one objective. Right. They ran over there, they charged that unit, killed it, took the objective from him, and then sat there for the next three turns holding that objective. That's a good
3: use of your points.
2: So not only did it, it actually killed quite a few of the infiltrators, but then in that next turn, it swung to the other side of the table, took the objective back from him, and held it for the rest of the game. And again, they're toughness five, five wounds with the five up feel no pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really hard to
0: chew through. And they're cheap too.
2: Two power level. Yeah, that's one thing I love most is you you roll your summoning dice. Like, all right, I got a seven. Ah, well, that's three beasts. really <laughs> it's in the way it's written. It's literally two power level per. It's you buy them one at a time. Yep. Beast of Nurgle hit quite a few times for me, and then obviously a number of times whenever you're you're playing, especially the amount of Nurgle I have on the table. Characters, you're bringing out a Pox Bringer. You're bringing out Demon Princes. I lost the Biopiper twice during the tournament, and I just resummoned him. Right. Yeah, there Since you
0: he's go. Since not unique, you can do that? Exactly. Did you ever bring a greater unclean one?
2: I thought about it, and I, I brought him with me just in case, but he never actually hit the table. Primarily, again, because he's power level, I think he's power level 17.
1: Yeah, Okay. Yeah. High.
2: So he's really hard to get on the table. And two, because he is targetable, and there's really nothing in my list that's a really good hard anti-tank punch. Mm-hmm. The moment he hits the table, if I'm fighting anything with any level of heavy firepower, he gets laid into really hard.
3: Like your opponent's castellan just sits there and goes, Oh,
2: well I'm gonna I'm gonna blow him off the table now. I'm I'm a huge fan of him starting in a list and then deep striking in. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. But trying to summon him is such a risk. Were there any other units that were,
0: were standouts for you?
2: Soul grinders, actually. I summon in twice. Okay. Oh okay. Never thought I would do it, but both times and they're they're both Nurgle. Both times it was Nurgle. The Surviving ones. They're they're already survivable, and I didn't realize it initially, but they benefit from the tree. Yep.
0: Ah. They are Nurgle models if you make them Nurgle.
2: Yep. The ability to advance and charge, they're in uh, and advance and shoot, and fall back and charge and fall back and shoot really made the the Soul Grinder quite versatile. Mm. And ten attacks apiece in combat with that thing.
0: Yeah, if you use their weapon.
2: Yeah. They're coming in roughly about three to five shots, plus a D six, like kind of battle cannon shots, mm-hmm. plus uh, the charge on them. I mean, they're 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 quite versatile and they're tough. Fair enough. with the five up, feel no pain, and there's two ways in the codex to heal them: D three wounds each. Yep, fair enough. You can there's a spell you can do, and then there's a strat you can do. So I found whenever my opponent was really leaning towards just trying to clear out hordes of models, as a huge fan, if they just got a bunch of squishy horde, I'll bring a soul grinder and just let them pound on that for a while.
0: Sure. There you go. Again, adapting your list to what your opponent can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all they have is anti-infantry, bring a tank.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. There's a few units that I just really didn't touch. Though. Like, we, we kind of talked about the demonets being one of them. Mm-hmm. I did not bring chariots, actually. I, I brought three Zinch chariots with me, thinking they might, but I, I not once did I ever actually turn towards them.
0: Exalted Flamer just kind of does it better.
2: Exactly. The Exalted Flamer just, it, it's a better fit for less points. Yeah. And so I just wound up leaning on them a lot. And then any of the greater demons, shy of the Keeper of Secrets, for the same exact reason why I didn't want to bring the great and clean one out, is they just become massive anti-tank magnets, because they're the only thing in my list worth shooting. Fair enough.
0: Well, I think that covers the, the different summoning choices pretty well. So, here's a question that I was kind of curious about. Like, you're obviously running the, the plague bearers and a very defensive-looking list at the start. Did you typically play very defensively? Yes.
2: Yes, I did. That was actually very intentional going into this event, though. My plan was to play very low-point games. I was going to play very denial, so I'm not going to score a lot of points, but I'm not going to give up a lot of points. I was going to keep my points very tight and very low. Kind of submarine my way up to the top, say it for what it is. The The goal was to keep my points very low mm-hmm. and just stay undefeated. Not win big, just don't lose.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it obviously worked. It got you through those six rounds, even though it did force you to play that seventh one. It did,
2: and oh my god, was that exhausting. But I could not have asked for a better opponent than Aaron Tyler. He was a great guy to play.
3: I have a question. Going into round seven there, that that 6.5 round, how many total victory points did you amass at the tournament at that point?
2: Going into that last round, my highest scoring game was 31 points. My average was
0: 16. It was horribly low. You were sitting on just barely over 100 total victory points, if I recall correctly. Yes. So why don't, why don't you go through your list real quick here and kind of give us just the, the quick rundown and why you made choices on the individual units you did.
2: So obviously there's the basic Demon Battalion, which is the sopity Bile Piper, the Spoiled Puck Scrivener. Two units of 30 Plague Bears, and then a unit of four Nurglings.
0: Okay.
2: Why four instead of three? Well, first strike and so on and so forth are still strong options, and it's actually a little bit harder, actually significantly harder to kill four Nurglings than three.
1: Yes. Sure.
2: But it was not a pure Nurgle detachment. Okay. Because the third HQ in the unit and the detachment was the Infernal and Rapturous.
0: She's super good.
2: We kind of already went over why she's so amazing. There's one thing we didn't mention that is really huge is she has a 24 inch bubble of uh, any enemy psychers that rolls doubles, and that bubble perils automatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just so horribly good. She was also my warlord. Oh, okay. I very often took the warlord trait to a 6 inch bubble of negative 1 attack. Cool. To any models in 6 inches of her. Quite often, and I actually used it twice in the event where I used the Sinesh stratagem. So that uh, you pick any enemy unit within three inches of her, and that entire unit gets a minus one attack to a minimum of one. Right. And so, if my opponent had a massive, uh, very aggressive alpha strike rush, like you know, twenty gene sealers that rushed across the table and charged my line, well, they're already a on minus one to hit the plague bearers, and then they wind up losing two attacks apiece that way. Yeah. Because she's right behind the front of that plague bear line, and so at that point, twenty gene sealers become a lot less scary. Yeah. Yes.
0: Stripping away, you know. 80 attacks from that gene stealer unit is rough. And
2: so the second attachment in the list was actually a Thousand Sons attachment mm-hmm. with Aramon on foot and two Demon Princes with wings, standard loadout with the Talons, so on and so forth. Yep. And a lot of people ask me the difference of going Aramon on foot versus on disc, and that's a whole other discussion. We can have another time because it's a very complex discussion, but there was a very, it was a specific choice. Yeah. And then the last attachment, Ultra Simple, Feculent Normal ma. Yep. There you go. And then there was 647 points of summoning in the list.
0: Was there anything where you chose 647 as like, I need this much? Or did you have an explicit threshold on that?
2: Yes. So I I specifically wanted to actually keep it above, I think it was 555. And that's specifically because that gave me enough points to be able to summon another unit of plague bears, Mm -hmm. another unit of 30, roughly at the 250 point value, and a herald.
1: Ah, okay.
2: That literally is, if I have to go bare bones, massive horde, with the support, what can I get? And that was that 555 mark, and then anything after that was kind of just a fills the gravy boat, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. This is my threshold. I need this. So how can we build it to make sure I have that?
0: You mentioned earlier that you summoned a unit of plague bearers in every game. Yes. Would you consider just adding that third unit of plague bearers to the army since you always summoned them?
2: No, actually, and here's the reason why. Three of my eight games, my opponent did not choose Reaper.
0: Mm. Uh, because he didn't have enough starting and he couldn't guarantee it. Exactly. Your list does a very good job of denying the enemy easy victory points from choosing secondaries, so that's a relevant distinction there. Mm-hmm. So, we've talked a whole lot about summoning here and how you use it, but there is another side of the coin that I think a lot of players are interested in, is what do you do about summoning when you see it across the table from you? Shailene, you're a a Grey Knight player. I'm (laughs) sure this is uh, something that you understand quite well.
3: Yes. As Josh pointed out, there's that narrow window he can put the units down in. If I can get my units in that window and close it off from him, he can't summon. Exactly.
2: Yep. That is the very first thing to consider if you want to try and really hurt a a demonic summoning list, is depending on how the demon player deployed, how fast can you close that gap? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you make it so that they do not have good options of where they want to summon? Even if it's a situation where the best they're going to get is to summon their 30 guys literally 12 inches behind their character. Right. And it's definitely not an ideal position for them because their character is now in between their unit and your guys. That's not
0: where you want to be.
3: Another tactic is blow the front unit off. Oh, look, there's a bunch of characters I can now kill.
0: Yes. Obviously, a strategy that is entirely reliant on characters is vulnerable to those characters being removed. Uh, um,
3: sniper so. suddenly becomes Sniper's. a really important rule. He yep. has to hide his characters.
2: That was actually what cost me really heavily in that very last game that I played against Alex Harrison was I took a risk with one of my characters by putting it, was actually the Sonesh Infernal Raptures. I put her out front because I liked the positioning and I wanted to be able to give that bubble of the, the perils against the Eldar and in the position she was in, she was in line of sight of five Eldar Rangers, mm-hmm. and they rolled good, Oh, and she took four mortal wounds on the first shot. And the thing I didn't realize, while I wanted her up there for that perils issue, yep. what I didn't realize I lost when she died was the ability to summon any slanesh onto the table. Because you had
0: no other slanesh characters. Mm-hmm.
2: And that hurt. Yeah, yeah
0: that's definitely big. Shaylin plays very aggressive armies, so she obviously can eat up space in that way. Uh, I tend to play very shooty armies, and my strategy against that sort of plague bearer heavy or other horde heavy army is just to blow everything off the table. Literally like a punch me clown, shoot them as soon as they pop up. Exactly. There are many anti-reserve stratagems that can allow you to get free shots off, and even just putting the pressure on them from turn one. Yep. Josh kind of described that situation where it's like if you get most of your army blown off the table turn one, then you're going to have to, you know, stop where you are, plant feet, do summoning with every character you have to bring stuff down. But you lose a lot of tempo doing that.
2: Yes, massively.
0: So if you can keep doing that to them turn after turn, because in that situation, the summoning list drops down all its guys... You blow those off the table because they haven't really moved forward. They're not going to be in range to charge you. And you can just kind of keep repeating that trick every turn. Yep. So a very aggressive army or a very alpha strikey army can both put that summoning list on the back foot and start just making the time miserable for them by virtue of never giving them the time to do what they want to.
2: Yeah. Very important also is target priority against demon lists is very huge. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do not split your fire. If you have the ability to wipe a unit,
0: wipe the unit. Yes. Yes. Uh, Especially with that bio piper, like having a one in three chance of them getting a bunch of models back and losing nothing to morale and be just backbreaking. It's huge.
3: Caveat, if you are a Grey Knight player because they have that stupid Grey Knight stratagem, (laughs) you do not want to finish anything off with a Grey Knight unit if you can possibly help it.
0: I don't know what you're talking about. You can kill it off with something else. That's okay. There aren't enough Grey Knight players for that strategy to come up very often. (laughs) Are there any other strategies that you found particularly problematic? Those two main things that you just brought up were the two biggest. Okay. Well, I think that covers most everything, unless either of you have a point you want to bring up to kind of wrap this whole little thing up in a bundle.
2: Ah, it's been great.
0: Yeah, Yeah, uh, hopefully the listeners have learned a lot on this. I think summoning is a very misunderstood mechanic that can be very powerful when you use it correctly, even if it is not necessarily a feature of every chaos list out there. Exactly. Yep. So if you are looking at doing some sort of summoning army or you have some nostalgia for 7th edition for some reason, Hmm. (laughs) it's certainly something you can do. And if you would like some help putting together a list of your own, uh, summoning or otherwise, or you have other questions, comments, something else, you can contact all three of us here through email and hour at gmail.com. Or it, come to us through Facebook. We have a Facebook group, In The Finest Hour. Uh, you can message us there or post to the group or the wall there. And if you feel that we've been doing really good work and you'd like to give us a little bit of monetary incentive, a little bit of help out, we have a Patreon also, In The Finest Hour gets you access to our private Facebook group where we have been having quite a bit of chats about lists and other nonsense recently. Uh, Some players are voting on a list for me to take to the next tournament upcoming here, and everyone seems to think it should be Dark Angels, even though I don't own any Dark Angels. (laughs) So we'll, we'll see how that particular little... Farce pans itself out.
3: I uh, own Dark Angels, so your
0: ass is covered. Uh oh. <laughs> I may have had this decided for me here. Oh, that's too good. And we, of course, have a Discord chat to go along with that where there's a little bit more live and up to the moment. Uh, Shaylin has been telling a lot of folks about her experiences with the CK Studios class and giving some airbrushing advice.
3: Also, uh, a lot of advice for autistic children that people have.
0: Sure. Uh, something that several of our members have some experience with. If you're interested in uh, sort of that perspective on the hobby, we've been talking there as well. As far as upcoming events go, uh, I believe, Josh, you're going to the Dallas Open here pretty soon.
2: Yes, going to have a really good time at that one. I actually can't wait.
0: And then uh, a little bit after that, I am probably going to be attending Wet Coast in late April.
3: I am most certainly not.
0: Yes, unfortunately, Shay's schedule is not allowing her to get to that tournament, so... I
3: basically will be doing sporadic RTTs when it happens to coincide with the weekend where I'm let off early. hmm
0: You will be at Storm of Silence in BAO. Nope. Uh, really, you're not going to make either of them. But, uh, I will, I will be at Storm. So, I'd also like to put my thanks out to Dank Muse, who has provided the music for this episode, as always.
3: Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for being our amazing artiste.
2: And I definitely want to open the door to any of you that happen to
0: uh, want to potentially sponsor. Shailen, I believe you have our list of the week. You were something you were pretty excited about.
3: Oh, yes, because I thought we needed a palate cleanser so bad after talking about all these demons so filthy. <laughs> so, this is a Grey Knight list. Okay. It has a battalion detachment of Grey Knights with a Grandmaster in Nemesis Dread Knight. So okay. the dreadmaster,
1: yeah, he
3: just has the fist and sword, he doesn't have any shooting weapons. Oh wow. And Kaldor. Okay. Um Mr. Drago, and then they have two five-man strike squads w- mm-hmm. with all falchions, no silencers. All right. Uh one eight-man terminator unit. Okay. All kitted out with
1: halberds. Yep. Oh hell yeah.
3: Switching over to guard, and guard, so they got two company commanders. A Primera Psyker, three infantry squads naked, and then a Bulgrin Blob. Oh, okay. And a Midstorm Priest, of course. Yep. Followed by a Imperial Knight, House Raven. It's a Castellan with all the usual contraiments. What a shock. Yes. The interesting thing here is with the new Gangbusters rule, regular Granite Terminators don't qualify for it because they're only two wounds. That's true. This was actually played by Jessica Bowman. At the aforementioned RTT from the Ladies' Night episode. Nice. Uh, She won the RTT with that list. Yeah. I like the list. I like the idea of it. I'm not certain I'd run exactly that if I were to build it myself. Mm -hmm. But it's a starting place. (laughs) It is definitely a starting place. Okay.
0: Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for the week. Catch us next week where we will be discussing Tempo for the second time here. Uh, I'm going to have another fallback episode on that. We're going to go into some more detail and talk about some codexes, stratagems, and units in particular, and how they can affect your tempo. So, I have been Sean Morgan.
3: Shailen Allen.
2: Josh Death.
0: And this has been In the Finest Hour. Thanks for listening.